You think I'm powerful now? This isn't even my final form! Which is a 1099 that you'll need to fill out, please. This is 20 Questions Tuesday, the podcast where one guy asks another guy 20 questions! 20 questions! I'm David Reinstrom. And I'm David Brunel Brutman. Hey, David. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. What's up with your life? I am studying the life-changing art of tidying up. So, okay, so a little background. So, I want to be tidier in my life. Uh, my okay. standard of clean houseness has kind of decreased uh, in the years since you and I lived together as roommates in college. Uh, and has it? Yeah. I don't want to be a dick about this, well, David. Well, okay, okay. You were clean. But you have always been, in my experience, an untidy fellow. Well, yes. I'm and saying... I, d- I don't say that to be mean. I say it as a, a point of fact. Yes, as a point of fact, I there is... There, I still love you. There is no more lodestar of tidiness in my life. Is that a more accurate statement? I have no idea what that even means. Is you, you were the tidy person. I lived with you and you, you were tidy. Forecast no, shut up. Oh, Your yeah, stupid, okay. beautiful face. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I got this weird Japanese book about tidying up, and it is full of all these oh. ridiculous aphorisms. Yeah, have you seen this? Have you heard I've about this? I've heard of this. I read an article about this. Yeah, I, we probably read the same article. Tell me more. Well, most of her advice is pretty sound. Um... The main shtick of it is, number one, you're folding your clothes wrong, <laughs> and number two, before before you do anything, just discard all the crap that you don't need. Go through everything you own and get rid of everything that does not make you happy or is super useful right. or that you need that to have for like, tax purposes. So what is the name of this book? It Who is, is this woman? It is called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing by Marie Kondo. Is it The Japanese Art of Decluttering, or is it just Marie Kondo's Art of Decluttering? I would have assumed because it's just Marie Kondo's Art of Decluttering. It seems a little far-reaching. So, so here is an excerpt that I'm going to read to you. Uh, okay, from, read to me an excerpt. Let's see. From the life-changing magic of tidying up. Page 48. It can be very annoying when your family doesn't cooperate with your attempts to achieve the ideal home. This is something I experienced many times in the past. At one time, I was so absorbed in tidying that cleaning my own room was not enough. I just had to tackle my siblings' rooms and every other space in the house, and I was constantly frustrated by my untidy family. A common cause of distress was the communal storage closet in the middle of the house. To me, more than half of it seemed to be devoted to unused and unnecessary junk. The clothing rods were jammed with outfits I had never seen my mother wear, and suits belonging to my father that were clearly obsolete. Boxes of manga belonging to my brother covered the floor. I would wait until the timing was right and confront the owner with this question. You don't use this anymore, right? But the response was either, yes, I do, or I'll get rid of it myself, which they never did. Every time I looked in that closet, I would sigh and complain, why does everyone keep accumulating things? Can't they see how hard I'm working to keep the house tidy? And in most of these stories, like, Kondo is like 11 or 12. Oh, dear. And she just goes around the house, just throwing... So, so later in this chapter, she describes how... She goes around the house throwing out all of her family's possessions? Yes. Secretly discarding her family's possessions because she knows that they won't miss them. But they do miss them. pathological to me. Right. Well, so the lesson she said is 
the lesson to take from this is that other people's stuff is none of your damn business. Okay. What I really needed to do was simplify my own room first, and then my family tidied their rooms after following my example. Okay, good. She she figured it out. I mean, I'm somebody who believes in a uh, a somewhat minimalist lifestyle. I know. It's really cool. Your home has always but been very clean. Going around and throwing out other people's possessions seems like pushing it to me. <laughs> I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. There are a number seems of a stories. There are a number of stories in this self-help book that have led me to believe that the author herself as a child was in need of help. Like, her, her relationship mm. with tidiness does seem to be pathological. But isn't that what she does for a living now? Yes, she is a isn't tidiness consultant. is living throwing out other people's stuff? Yes, yes it is. So I guess she made it work for her. What's up with you? Okay, here's what I heard about today. So... I'm going back through episodes of Radiolab, mm -hmm. and I come across the one about buttons. Yes. And here is what they talk about, among other things. So they talk about the fabled nuclear launch button, sure. right? Mm -hmm. So in the popular imagination, the president in the Oval Office has like a big red button on his desk. Maybe it's got like a lock on it, or there's like a key or something. And when, you know, the Soviets launch all the missiles at our face, the president very gravely opens the cover of the button and slams it down and all of our nukes go and turn Moscow into glass. I'm sorry, Spiro. Uh, it's time to get real. Right, exactly. As the uh, opposing Soviet nukes rain down on Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no such button. There's never been any such button. Right. There never will be any such button. Uh, yeah, there's no it's too, it's single... It's too easy. It's too easy. It's way too easy. So there's no single button that launches all the Oops. nukes. Bo the dog accidentally a... stepped on the nuclear button. It exactly. was just prancing That's... across the Resolute desk. And, uh, look, uh, I, can't, is... I can't say how it happened, but it did. So. That is exactly why you do not want that Sorry, button. everyone. So, there's no button. There's, in fact, a very complicated series of events, uh, and there's a whole distributed network of stuff and layers of redundancies. Um, but one of the things... Oh, so that nobody is responsible. That's part of it. That's a big part of it, uh, which gets to the crazy thing that they talked mm. about. Which is, so currently, and since the Cold War era, uh, there has, I don't know if this person still follows the president around, but there has been a man. A certain a man. A military officer. A certain man. For the poor you can be sure that he'll do all he can. Who is this one? This favorite son, who by his action has the traction magnets on the run. No, it's not It's not Charles It's not Kane. Not Charles Foster Kane. Is it the biscuit? Uh, yes. So it's the biscuit. So there is a military officer who has a briefcase uh, that is locked and handcuffed to his or her Kinky. wrist uh, during the Cold War, almost certainly his wrist, because sexism, <laughs> hey, well, hey And the briefcase is known as the football. Right. And inside the football is the biscuit, the codes. If something should happen... This guy is right there by the president. The president can say, all right, we got to do this. Bring me the codes. Mm -hmm. And then I guess he phones in the codes or transmits them. Like you were saying, that 
substantially distances the person who has to order essentially the annihilation by fire of millions of people from the process of doing that. Sure, that checks out. Okay, so in the 80s, yeah. this guy Robert Fisher made an alternate proposal about the person carrying the football Okay, that would make it uh, much less morally ambiguous for the president to launch all the nukes, which was this. Instead of having a guy carrying a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist, you have a volunteer, the volunteer part is important, mm-hmm. who uh, has a little capsule containing the nuclear launch codes implanted in his or her heart. Oh, Jesus. And instead of carrying a briefcase, this person carries at all times a butcher knife. (laughs) So if the president wants to launch the nukes, he's got to take the butcher knife from the guy, stab him in the chest, murder him to death (laughs) with a butcher knife. In the middle of the White House sure. and rip the capsule containing the nuclear launch codes out of this person's heart. Reagan did that five times a day before breakfast. He didn't even need a butcher knife. Sure, but... Fresh-faced young Iowans were brought before our nation's mightiest president. They stood before him bare-chested and with his right hand for the president was left-handed and he wished to show how little effort it took with his right hand god president reagan burst into their chest cavity and tore their beating hearts from their chests he didn't even got a look he never did find those codes you realize that that audio clip that you just delivered is going to be the only remaining artifact of our civilization in 3000 years that's fine and they will use it to construct the late 20th century Yes, that will be everything they, they know about a man our president. Named Ronald Reagan. Pew pew. pew 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 pew. Anyway, isn't that fucking insane? Yes, it is. <laughs> but it's kind of a beautiful idea. Like the president, in order to, you know, murder millions, fairly in a fairly distanced and cavalier manner, has to first confront the gross reality of death. And, you know, presumably, if this guy is somebody who's at the president's side at all times, uh, this is a dude or lady who the president will come to know personally and, like, befriend. So this guy, Fisher, put forward this proposal, and all the military officers were horrified and said, well, no, you can't do that, because then the president might never use the launch codes. (laughs) So that's what I heard about. I just feel like if this were already in place, President Obama would just ask Biden to do it. He'd be like, no, Biden I Biden would I can't. do it with his teeth. His <laughs> beautiful, beautiful teeth. Biden would just sort of clap his hands together and be like, sure, I've done this five or six times already. Uh, let's see if I remember where the heart is. I feel like Biden would have to get kind of drunk first. What do you like, mean, first? <laughs> I subscribe to the onion. Yeah, uh, that's impression exactly of what, what I'm thinking of what of. our vice president is like. I I love that version of Biden, such that he's just always working, like shirtless on his tran- on his Pontiac Trans Am in the front of the on like the White House lawn. It's parked on the lawn. It's not it's not on the driveway or anything. It's oh on no, the lawn. right there on the lawn. Yeah, he's always just trying to like 
you know, set up a secret hot tub party on the roof of the White House. <laughs> Obama's got to be like, dude, come on. Enough of this Biden bullshit. David? Yes? Are you ready to play 20 Questions Tuesday? Do I need launch codes to initiate it? Yes, the launch code is saying yes. Yes. Oh, let's go over the rules. Okay. Rule number one. I will think of a thing. Rule number two. David will ask only yes or no questions to narrow down the nature of the aforementioned thing. Rule number three. If David exceeds 20 questions, the game and reality as we know it is over. No more than 20 questions are permitted. Rule number four. If David correctly guesses the thing in fewer than 20 questions, he wins the game, and we all get to live for another week. Rule number five. Chicken livers, 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 steak. Are you ready? Yes. Then you may ask your first question. Is it alive? Yes. Is it fauna? Yes, it is fauna. Is as it... opposed to flaura. Yes, as opposed to flaura. I just want fauna to rhyme with sauna, but, you know, it... the way they say it in... Uh... In Finnish? Finnish. Sure. Yeah. That would make me feel better. Okay, so uh, it's an animal. Correct. Uh, is this animal a mammal? Yes. Is this mammal a human being? Yes. Is this human being uh, extant? Mm, no. Okay. Uh, is this somebody who lived in the past? Uh, th this person could exist now. Okay. Uh, but this is a fictional person. Yes. Okay. Is this person from an existing work of fiction? Inspired by an existing work of fiction. Is it Sherlock Holmes? It is not Sherlock Holmes. Is it double Sherlock Holmes? Oh, you got me! That's, uh, the alternate reality version of Sherlock Holmes that I just made up, I don't, who's I don't, a Siamese I, twin. Okay. <laughs> Incident weirdly enough, not with Mycroft. Mycroft is still a separate person. Sure, In he's fact, a conjoined twin he's with two Watson. two separate people. Right? Double Sherlock Holmes is a conjoined twin with Watson? Yeah, so it's not double Sherlock Holmes. Okay. What do you mean, okay? <laughs> no, it's not, it's not du double Sherlock Holmes. Um, okay, so is this uh, an American? Yes. A fictional American mm -hmm. who could live in contemporary times. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, is this person in... Uh, Let, let's say, let's just say this takes place in the present. Okay. Is this person in a STEM profession? Uh, depends on what you think the T in STEM stands for. You know, I have no idea what this, what the T stands for. Does it stand for technology? It does stand for technology. Okay. It's uh, science, science, technology, technology engineering, engineering, and mathematics. Math, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Man. Technology. Yeah. Uh, does it stand for technology? Not in this case. Okay. Does it stand for tits? Nope. <laughs> well, it was a good guess. So, okay. So this character is inspired by or could exist in a fictive work. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> This person is not in a uh, a traditional STEM field. No. Okay. Uh, does this person work with technology? 
Uh, yes. Yes, I would say so. Okay, but... But that's in... not what the T stands for, and I'm misleading you. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, You're welcome. Dick. You're welcome. Okay, we got tits and dick within, I'm gonna say, 30 seconds of each other. You. About. You so got I'm those. I'm feeling pretty good about you that. You put those there. Yep. And like I said, I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> I'm gonna try to get all inappropriate body parts in. Great. By the time we're done with this podcast. Butts. All right, so you need to figure out who this person is, where they are, what they're doing, and what the deal is with what they're doing. Okay. Uh, does this person have a name? This person can be named whatever you want this person to be named. Okay. Uh, is this person a woman? She can be. She can also be a man. Okay. So gender is irrelevant, name is irrelevant. Correct. Uh, is... These are all just constructs foisted upon you by the patriarchy. Right. It is okay. all irrelevant. Is, uh, wait, what's the what's the gender-neutral pronoun that I hate? Thon? Mm, uh, they? No. How about they? The other one. No, they is the one that I like. Oh, okay. I uh, like that as a gender-neutral pronoun, because I she, feel that it already has widespread acceptance. G? Mm, I think it has a Z in it. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, Z-H-E. Z-H-E? Uh, here, Thon? What about Thon? Did I say Thon? You said Thon. Uh, well, I'm out. Okay, I feel like it's Zay. Oh, maybe that's how you say it. I was trying I to... I don't like that one because it just sounds like I'm talking about Zay Frank. I like Zay Frank. Yeah, but, you know, that's his name, so it can't be a pronoun. So then it's just confusing. So, this individual... Um... Does it matter where in the United States this person is? This person in the United States? They're yes. American, but are they in the United States? Yes. It okay. Are they in a specific matters. location in the yes, United States? Very much so. A specific city? Uh, yes, a specific city. Okay. Uh, a city on the West Coast? No. A city in the Midwest? No. A city on the East Coast? Correct. Okay. Uh, is it New York? It is not New York. Is it Boston? It's very near to Boston, just north of Boston, in fact. Uh, pff, what the hell is north of Boston? Hmm, Essex County. I only know Essex County, New Jersey. That's fine. Um, okay, uh, it's north of Boston. Um, now, now, here's, here's, here's the thing. Yes. The person is fictitious. Okay. Is the city fictitious? Yes, indeed it is. Wait a second. Is this person an employee of Miskatonic University? This person is a graduate student at Miskatonic University in beautiful Arkham, Massachusetts. Oh, dear. So, David, what does the T in STEM stand for? Terror? Nope. Um, tentacles? <laughs> Close. You're not gonna get it. I'm rubbing my hands together. No, I'm definitely gonna get this. Yeah. Oh wait. This is how you transform into fish people? Nope. Okay, I give up. Okay. Thaumaturgy. Oh. Actually I could have gotten that. Yeah, you could have. 
All right, but that would have taken me a really long time. We don't right. have time for that. So, we got to move on. <laughs> we've got a grad student at Miskatonic University, David, which is what? Just for the people that don't know. Okay, so in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's, is it specifically in his Cthulhu mythos, or does it go throughout all of his stories? I think it goes throughout all of his stories. Are all of his stories in a shared universe? Kind of loosely. Did did Was that ever established? By by his editor, I think, August Derleth. Okay. So in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Cosmic Horror Stories, Miskatonic University is a, a lovely old school in New England, uh, which is dedicated to the study of cosmic horror and the occult. Yes. And other uh, magical and perhaps thaumaturgical fields. Yes. So, this is a grad student at Miskatonic University um, who is doing something shady? No, perfectly legitimate. Well, legitimate according to Miskatonic University or broadly legitimate? Broadly legitimate. Okay. Um, So is this person trying to... Is this graduate student... um, trying to conduct some sort of research. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is the research on Cthulhu? No. Is it's it just Cthulhu ordinary research? research. No, it's it's pretty generic research. This person can be studying anything at all. Oh, okay. So the field of study does not matter. No. Except that it's thaumaturgy. No, except that, that it's at Miskatonic University. Oh, okay. Where the T okay. and STEM stands okay. for thaumaturgy. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So it's a graduate student at Miskatonic University, um, and they're they're doing something which is not related to their studies. No, it's related to their studies. Oh. Mm, they're doing something that is... Uh, but the thing that they're doing is mundane? The studies are mundane. The it thing can, that they're it, doing is not mundane. It can be. It can also be the pursuit of secret forbidden knowledge but what they're studying is actually kind of irrelevant to the question uh of this 20 questions tuesday challenge okay so what what else do grad students do um i don't know starve besides that um so this person is studying so this person is studying and this person is in a particular place okay uh, so this person is some particular, they're on some particular campus location. Correct. Are they in the library? They are in the library. Okay. The August Derleth Thaumaturgical Library. Sure. And they're looking at the Necronomicon. Uh, they might have, but they've also put it back. Okay. Um, uh, is the grad student reading a specific book? No. Grad student's got a bunch of books. Okay. Maybe preparing to teach a class the next day. Okay, but just hanging out in the library, doing library doing a specific stuff. thing in the library. Yes. Okay. Um, is it something that you would normally do in a library? Very much so. Okay, uh, but it's not just reading. No. Peeing. <laughs> How much peeing do you do in libraries? You know, little, a little bit. That's all I need to know. No, it's not peeing. Are they? Let's see, they're doing something that you would normally do in a library, mm-hmm. but it's not reading, uh, and it's not any sort of sort of particular study. 
or studying or I don't know. It's, How do it, transitive verbs work? It's like teacher prep. The sort of thing you might do with uh, study materials. Tutoring? Nope. Mm. Let's see. They're uh, taking notes. No. They are um, sleeping. No. They are doing it in the stacks. Nope. Uh, David, imagine you're a grad student. You've got a class to teach tomorrow. And, you know, there's no textbook for your class. But instead... They're, uh, they're making a PowerPoint. No, they're not making a PowerPoint. Uh, they're practicing their lecture. Mm -mm. Okay, it's something to do with a library that is not checking out books. Correct. And has nothing to do with books. No, you can do this with a book. Uh, this person is trying to do this thing to a book. photocopying it. Yes! Yes! This graduate student is in the thaumaturgical library trying to make photocopies. Okay. So, they're trying to make photocopies, mm -hmm. and something goes horribly wrong. Something is going horribly wrong. It's with very the photocopier? Spooky. Yeah, with the photocopier. What's up is with the, the photocopier? Is the photocopier possessed? It is a demon photocopier. Oh no! Demon photocopier! Was it always a demon photocopier? Yes. Oh, well, <laughs> are all the photocopiers demon photocopiers? No, just this one. Oh. Okay, so... So what does this demon photocopier do to every single page that the graduate student tries to print? I guess it just eats it. Mm-mm. Does it pee on it? It does not. It reproduces something. It, it, it scans the page and it puts out just a, like, just a gelatinous green blob of icor. <laughs> Worse. No, it, 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 you put the thing down, it copies, and it spits out a piece of paper, but what's on the piece of paper is not what is on the text that you wanted to copy. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm gathering. Uh, okay, so, every, every page you try to photocopy just comes out as, like, a, a prayer to the demon gods. Mm -mm. But they all do come out exactly the same. <sighs> is it a photocopy of a butt? <laughs> Um, see, I told you I would legitimately get butts in there. <laughs> now all I have to do is say vagina and we're four for four. You just did. Boom. Boom. I think, I think in my heart I just won this 20 questions Tuesday <laughs> challenge. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's something with writing on it though. Uh, yes, yes. Okay, so it's a page, it's the same, it puts out the same page for every copy, and it is a page of text. Uh, no, it is a page with text on it. Oh, okay, uh, is it, um, so it also has other things on it, like Correct. photographs? It, yes, a photograph. Okay. It spits out a photograph with some text on it. Like a single captioned photograph. I wouldn't call it a caption, but yes. A photograph with text scrawled across it? Correct. In blood. No, uh, in Sharpie. Oh, okay. Um, 
Is it a photograph of the graduate student? No, that would be very spooky, though. Is it a photograph of the graduate student's mom? Nope. Uh, is it a photograph of Cthulhu? <laughs> nope. Is it a photograph of a... Is it even a photograph of a person? It's a photograph of a person. Okay. Um, is it a photograph of a person who the graduate student knows? Not personally. Is it a photograph of H.P. Lovecraft? Nope. Is it a photograph of somebody who exists? In our world, yes. Okay. Uh, is it a photograph of some historical figure? Mm -mm. What's the writing on the photograph? In in Sharpie? Mm-hmm. Um, it says, see me after class. Nope. What does it one says, normally scribble? Watch out for bats. What does one normally scribble in Sharpie on an eight by ten glossy? Uh, an autograph. Correct. It is an autographed picture of somebody. Oh, the other thing with <laughs> that, uh, with that Radiolab. Sorry, I shouldn't talk about this one episode of one other podcast. That's fine. Um, did you also listen to this? Yes. Okay, so you heard the whole thing about the super rare signature. Right? Oh, uh, Button Gwinnett. Button Gwinnett. Yes, I did. A signer of the Declaration of Independence whose signature is the rarest of all signatures of uh, Declaration of Independence signers because he basically just faded into obscurity after he died in a duel shortly after signing the Declaration of Independence. Right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, the other uh, politicians who sign it who want not to have illustrious careers and sign lots and lots of documents. So people collect their signatures. Right. Uh, and Button Gwinnett's is the hardest to get. There are only about 50 pieces of paper in the world left with his signature on it. Um, and they are worth thousands, like hundreds of thousands of dollars each. It is insane. Most of them are IOUs. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so uh, it's a it's a, a photocopy of a photograph. No, that's the spooky thing. Is it's an actual photograph? Okay, so it's an actual eight by ten glossy. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a headshot, and it's got somebody's autograph on it. Correct. Okay. Who is it? An actor? No. A politician? Mm -mm. A musician? Mm -mm. Um, who else is autographing photos? Um, is this person who's auto is this person somebody whose autograph you want to have? Um, sure. That sounded super tentative. <laughs> Do you want to have it because it's great or because it's so sucky that it? It becomes a like amazing novelty item. Uh, somewhere in between, probably closer to sucky than great. Although there are people that will disagree with me. Okay. Um, this person is a celebrity of some type, though. It's a celebrity of some type, but who hasn't acted in anything. Might have and... acted in a couple things. Let's see. Yeah, you know, acting in in a in a way certainly is on television a lot. Oh, is it somebody dumb like Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian? No, they're technically actors. Like somebody... Uh, technically. Sure. 
Um, okay, so it's not like a... Uh, it's not like one of these fake celebrities who are just famous for being famous. No, just not a celebrity actor. Okay, but also not a celebrity musician. Correct. Uh, but somebody who's on television? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, some sort of... Uh, host of something? Uh-huh, a television host. Like a game show host? Mm-mm. Um, Although he has been on a couple of game shows. Hmm. Uh, so not a game show host. No. But a host of something. Uh, a host of, um, like, a political commentary program? Mm-mm. A news anchor? Mm-mm. Um, talk show host? No. Um, he's a type of business person too. He's not primarily on television. That's not his main claim to celebrity. Okay. Um. So, but he gets to be on television because of the other thing that he that he's known for doing. Uh, he he became famous because of his series. Originally. Okay. Uh, but also because of his businesses. But you did slip and reveal that it's a man. I did slip and reveal that it's a man. So we've narrowed that down. So he doesn't have a vagina. No, he does not. Hey! <sighs> that one was almost natural. Almost. Almost! So, uh, he's known because of his series. <sighs> All right, what are people on television for? What do people do on television? What's an activity that you see people doing on TV? Rugby. Not sports. Um, okay. Uh, is this a chef? Yes, he is a food celebrity. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> David. Yes. Does this photocopier only put out autographed glossies of Guy Fieri? <laughs> <laughs> no! This is the worst photocopier in the history of mankind. <laughs> Why would you do this? Uh, Why would you do this I, to me, I photocopier? You, so uh, you are correct. Did I get it? Yes, you did. <laughs> you, 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 you did get it. So, David, the thing that you were thinking of mm -hmm. was a photocopier at Miskatonic University. Correct. That when a graduate student tries to photocopy anything at all, only prints out the same 8x10 signed glossy <laughs> of celebrity fuck chef Guy Fieri. Donkey slamming correct! I give that 10 out of 10 donkey sauces. Ah. <laughs> oh. Good job, Dave. Let's rock on over to the Scoratorium and slam on the answer. <laughs> this is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Douchebags. We're going to drive down the road in our open-top convertible painted with flames. My friend Lauren said that... We're going to jump it over a canyon while <laughs> eating chicken wings. That, that the... the um, his car... Uh, is like they only use that car for the intro shots. Like he doesn't, 
he doesn't actually do any traveling in it. They just sort of put it in a trailer and then he drives it for about not. three or four blocks. I mean, maybe even he has the good sense to not want to be seen in that thing. <laughs> Dave? What'd I get? Dave, you got this 20 Questions Tuesday challenge in 15 questions! Yes! Very nicely done, my boy. I feel good about it, except now I gotta think about Guy Fieri. So... Yeah. Mm. You know, mixed feelings there. Well, Dave, I've had fun today. I've had something. Well... Good job, because Thank that's you. how you play. Twenty questions Tuesday. Oh God, it's Guy Fieri. Kill it! No! Kill it on fire! How did you get in here, Guy? <laughs> he came through the floorboards. Oh. Oh, are we safe? Nope. <laughs> We're He'll never be back. safe. He always comes back. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook and follow our Tumblr at 20QuestionsTuesday.tumblr.com. Our theme song is Blood Meridian by Curlew, licensed under a Creative Commons 3.0 license. The music you heard under the show this week was by Lache Swing, also licensed under a Creative Commons license. If you want us to use your music, message us on Facebook or Tumblr. Up next, Botulism. No, that's just it. It's just a broadcast hosted by Botulism. He's got a funk playlist. He's pretty good. Anyway... I'm David Brunel Brutman. And I'm David Reinstrom. Good night. <laughs>